Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Ah, that French music, that means we're back in the French Catholic Cafe. It's open for business again. Uh, I can smell the croissant and the cafe au lait is freely pouring here. And we're so excited to be back with the Order of Malta in Lourdes, France, again for another beautiful pilgrimage. Uh, I'm Deacon Jeff, by the way, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. And we just love coming to this beautiful, beautiful part of the world where Mary calls us for healing, for spiritual healing, for physical healing, just and to feel loved and to be part of something great, uh, which is the Catholic Church, the Catholic faith, and the love of God. And we see all of that here uh, in these beautiful people that we experience, but also in the just the beautiful location. And when we kick off a, a new show here uh, in this pilgrimage, we like to kick it off with someone who's uh, of note. And so we brought in the most reverend Archbishop Timothy Broglio. And Archbishop Broglio, welcome to the uh, luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you and uh, to enjoy the cuisine. That's right. That's right. That's one of the wonderful things about pilgrimage is there's usually a little food involved. Now, um, Archbishop, you are the, the Archbishop for the Military Services USA, which, you know, it's kind of interesting. I think a lot of Catholics don't even necessarily realize that, that that's an actual archdiocese. Tell us how that works and, and what's involved. Is it like a regular diocese? I mean, Well, actually, it's like a regular diocese in the services that we offer to the men and women in uniform and their families and patients in veterans administration hospitals. But it's different in the sense that normally you're a member of a diocese, for instance, the Diocese of Memphis, by right. where you live. In my archdiocese, you're a member by who you are. Ah. So it includes all active duty U.S. military and their families, wherever they are, making it the largest archdiocese in the world, uh, by extension. Patients in Veterans Administration hospitals, there are 153 of those scattered across the United States. And then also uh, I'm in charge charge with pastoral care of anyone who works for the U.S. federal government, any Catholic who works for the U.S. federal government outside of the United States. So it would be diplomatic corps, it would be federal contractors. Um, unfortunately, due to the shortage of priests, I'm not able to do a great deal for them, but right. they are my subjects. Now, um, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI was the one that selected you for this uh, wonderful uh, task, this formidable task, I imagine. Uh, did he do that because of your ability to buy, locate, and to be in all these different places at <laughs> once? How does that work? I imagine that, as, as the largest archdiocese, I imagine that's a... A fairly difficult thing to do, to be everywhere. It is. Uh, Travel is a large part of my ministry. Um, And I think Pope Benedict actually uh, asked me to take on this ministry because one-third of our Catholic military are Spanish-speaking. And so they thought it would be a good idea to have a shepherd who... uh, spoke Spanish. Ah, well, very good. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Yes, it it does. It does. That's wonderful. Now, so... In in your, uh, imagine you you do this. Obviously, you know you love the church. Uh, that's that goes without saying. But but you do you have a special um, affinity for the military, a relationship with the military in a special way, or you've, have you grown into that? Actually, I've I've grown into it. Um, my father was in the Second World War, and I have a brother who served as a physician in the in the army. 
But uh, really, my knowledge and experience of the U.S. military has uh, grown immensely since the Holy Father asked me to take these responsibilities. Uh, well, he asked me in 2007. I was installed in 2008. And uh, I really consider it a privilege to minister to our men and women in uniform and our, and our veterans because they are such wonderful people. They have given of themselves. Sometimes they've sacrificed their health and their limbs in order to, uh, to serve our country and to maintain those uh, values that are, that are so important to us. And so it's a really a privilege to minister to them uh, and to take care of their pastoral needs. Well, we should talk about that. What, what does that involve uh, directly? I mean, uh, we know what our a typical diocese would do. We know we have our, our parish experience, and we kind of know how we, if we need something, we know where to go sacramentally and how we, how we do that. How, what are the, some of the ways in which you, you minister to your flock? Well, first of all, I minister to them by uh, endorsing the priests who will serve uh, in the five branches of, of the military. So I have to look for priests. Um, I have to encourage the recruiters that the three chaplain corps have. Um, and then um, I give them the faculties that, that they need in order to function because obviously they're going to be transnational and really worldwide. So they need the faculties of the archdiocese so as to be able to minister. And then back in Washington, we maintain all of the sacramental records so if you're baptized in Wiesbaden uh-huh. and 20 years later you go to get married, you don't have to uh, write to Wiesbaden. You just write to Washington and we'll provide the baptismal certificate and confirmation certificate, whatever it is that, that you need. We also have a tribunal which deals with uh, legal matters and, uh, and, and uh, marriage cases. And then obviously we also have a rather extensive uh, young adult and youth ministry because... I would say 80% of my archdiocese's uh, population is between the ages of 18 and 28, ah. because military, by definition, right. are younger. Um, so we provide all of those services as well as, of course, obviously having a chancellor and uh, the other uh, other elements of a of a traditional diocese. Right now, in terms of like finding those those priests. Um, do you have like a do, do you treat it like you do in any other situation where you have a, a vocations program of some sort, or are you spend time recruiting and finding people who might already be looking to do something more in, with the military? It's not a question of either or; it's a question of both and. So the recruiters of the Army, Navy, and Air Force uh, are charged to go out and look for priests and encourage them to uh, want to pursue this vocation within a vocation, which is really what it is. The Archdiocese has an extensive vocation program. Most people probably don't know, but the U.S. military is the largest supplier of priests in the United States. Ten percent of those ordained every year at one point or another wore a uniform of our country's armed services, and an additional ten percent come from families that have some direct connection connection with the military. So we have a co-sponsored vocations program, which is if a young man is seriously considering becoming a chaplain, uh, the archdiocese will sign a contract with his diocese, which he will also sign. And at the end of, if he is indeed ordained, at the end of three years, he will come on active duty of the service of his choice. 
and I have at the moment thirty-three co-sponsored seminarians, okay. and a number, th- a number, another thirteen that are seriously considering joining the program. I guess there are some, maybe even intensified spiritual needs for some of the the men and women in uniform who are serving uh, actively all over the world. Well, I think what happens is, in particularly a combat situation, remembering that the United States has been at war for almost 14 years now, so the longest war right. in our history, um, people ask fundamental questions. Uh, they ask questions about life and about life after death. And so it's very important to have a priest there to respond to those questions, to accompany them on their journey of deepening their faith. And the other thing that perhaps a lot of people don't think about is the fact that frequently in a deployed location... Um, in the evenings, there's not a great deal to do because obviously you can't go out into town. Um, There's not much in the way of television or anything like that. And so people have time. And if we have a priest there, they can run adult education programs. I know a couple of years ago, the Knights of Columbus sponsored a a church history uh, program. Good. People study for degrees. Um, so there's a wealth of opportunities, and it's very important that the church is there um, so that when questions are asked or needs are experienced, that we're able to offer a response to those questions and uh, a fulfillment to those those needs. And, of course, when we talk about sacraments, then that becomes paramount, sure. that there be a priest available. The moment I have 13 priests in uh, Afghanistan. Now, most of the, the priests and the folks that you involve in that ministry, are, are they trained in a way that they would understand maybe the needs specifically in terms of like, I mean, we're talking about people fighting wars and how difficult and just the challenges. That we, we all have challenges when we walk out our door, but it's nothing like just the thought that you're engaged in combat somewhere. And, and that does cause you, as you say, to start to think about things of God and what am I doing here? And is this right? Is it wrong? Where do I find myself? And so I imagine the, the, the ministers that you would have working with you would have to understand the sensibilities there. They certainly do. And that's, of course, one of the reasons why all of the priests uh, on active duty are officers. So they have had some military training and then they're also well acquainted because they're experiencing the same reality as well. And so they're well able to respond to those those needs and, and those situations. And in a combat situation, of course, uh, the priest is immediately available because uh, he's right there, uh, you know, sharing the life right. of, uh, of, of the men who are deployed with him, the men and women who are deployed with him. And I know we've all seen those, you know, the black and white pictures from World War II and other times where the priest is there with, with either the bodies or the men, the ragged men who are in between some combat situation here and there. And there's a little mass set on the back of some kind of jeep or something. And, and so those kind of things really cause the, the ordinary person to look at that and realize, you know, I have this, this great blessing that I can go down the street and I can go into my parish and yet these men and women who are in combat or just in very disparate parts of the world where there might not be a Catholic church around the corner need that, that ministry, don't they? They certainly do, and it's, it's very important to provide that ministry. Certainly um, the most recent wars, of course, have been in the Middle East where there is no parish church around the corner. So uh, what the chaplain can bring, what the Catholic priest can bring is unique. 
Um, and that's one of the reasons why it's very important to make sure that they're there. Um, and that's particularly true in the more isolated locations. So most of the priests will tell you that they spend a good bit of their life traveling from yeah. one forward operating base to another by helicopter or by fixed wing or sometimes by convoy. convoy. And so um, their life is not easy. They are constantly uh, changing um, constantly going to new locations and of course once you get there you're not sure that you're going to be able to get back immediately so scheduling is a is a real problem and what it happens of course in these more remote places is sunday is the day when the priest arrives right. regardless of what day of the week it is because right. that's when they can have their their celebration now that's an interesting question because again as a good practicing catholic we know of our the holy days of obligation and so how does the church uh, reconcile that with, as you said, do they just say, well, hey, it's all right, we understand the situation? Well, we certainly do say that. Uh, a fundamental moral principle is that no one can be held to what is impossible. Right. And so obviously our men and women who, because of their employment, uh, can't get to Mass on Sunday or a Holy Day, they're certainly not held to that obligation. But then when the priest does come, that's an opportunity for them for them to celebrate and another thing that's that's very frequent in the Middle East is uh, uh, Sunday Mass is often held on Fridays because oh. that's the day off. So right. that's when people can get to can get to work. Um, this is peripheral, but uh, a number of the people, the number of the people who uh, serve uh, on the military bases, who provide food service and some of those things, are um, third country nationals. They're from the Philippines or from India, many of them are Catholic. Ah. And so our priests also minister to them as well, and that is also very, very much appreciated. Well, your folks certainly have a tall order. Uh, they certainly a, do. There's a lot of stuff going on, and we have more to talk about uh, which the, with the good Archbishop here when we return. Before we do that, I want to uh, remind everyone at home that we have a, a great website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email uh, to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And so with that, we'll be right back. And this is another great moment in church history. Born in England in the late 7th century, a man named Winfrith felt called to the monastic life and joined the Benedictines at an early age. It was not long before he flourished in the faith and became recognized as a powerful conduit for the Holy Spirit to all those he encountered. Tradition tells us that the Pope himself changed Winfrith's name to Boniface, a name that means good fortune. St. Boniface was very well thought of in the Catholic Church in England and would have most definitely excelled there, but he felt a burning desire to carry the gospel message to those who were not yet Christians. He focused his attention on continental Europe, where a colorful array of pagan religions was beginning to take root. With an evangelistic zeal, he crossed the seas and found himself settled in Germany, where he went to work straight away sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. One story is told of how St. Boniface had become so distressed by the pagan worship of trees in Germany that he decided to go to the public square and cut down a giant oak tree dedicated to the god Thor. The townspeople looked on in horror, fully expecting Thor to avenge the horrid deed and punish St. Boniface. 
but nothing happened. They became convinced that the God of St. Boniface, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was the one true God. Many were converted to Christianity because of this one simple act on the part of St. Boniface. As St. Boniface entered his 80s, he resigned all his positions of leadership and once again went back to his roots of the simple missionary life. Though he was advanced in years, he was still a compelling force for the church. He converted many to Catholicism, but at the same time made his enemies all the more jealous of his successes for God. In 754, St. Boniface and 53 of his followers were murdered by a band of pagans determined to stop the continuing spread of Catholicism. Without any resistance whatsoever, they quietly laid down their lives for Christ and his church. St. Boniface was lovingly referred to as the Apostle of the Germans. Recalling the years that St. Boniface worked in Germany, a well-known German church historian stated, To us, this was a period of light, when the light of the gospel and of Christian civilization came to us. The feast day of St. Boniface is celebrated by the Universal Church on June 4th. I'm Bess Drozimski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the French Catholic Cafe, sitting here in Lourdes, France, and we're, we're joined by Archbishop Timothy Brolio. Archbishop, so you were in the middle of telling us all this great stuff that, that's going on with the Archdiocese of Military Services USA. And, you know, it'd be interesting just to talk some more about, um, you know, again, our experience as normal, everyday Catholics as we go to Mass, we, you know, the church around the corner. And I just heard uh, recently someone was talking about the fact that you had spent uh, Easter time or some parts of Easter time, Holy Week or whatever, in, in the Middle East. You know, and just what is that experience like, uh, whether wherever you do the Easter Vigil or wherever you do Good Friday? How does, how does, that, uh, what does that look like? Where are you? Well, you know, it, it's quite a different experience. Um, I began with um, Palm Sunday at Al-Udid, which is the uh, air base in, in Qatar. Um, and obviously a, a military chapel is always shared space, so you right. have to uh, make sure that you fit our rituals into the, the time that's available. My, but, do- my, my wife grew up in the Air Force, and she reminds me of the times that they would, when they go to Mass, they'd, they'd flip the crucifix around. Exactly, <laughs> you know? exactly. Because the Protestants were coming in next. You that's know? right. Or there would be a veil that would cover up when, the, when uh, our, our, our Jewish brothers and sisters would come to worship. Exactly, and so the chapels are multi-purpose. In fact, while I was in Qatar, I even managed to go to the first night of the Seder okay, with the good. Jewish rabbi who had come out from the Air Force Academy. So it was a, it was a very positive experience, but different from right. from what it would have been uh, in Washington. And then I was in Afghanistan for Holy Week, and uh, particularly for the days of the Triduum. And that's always a very moving experience because you're in the midst of a uh, of a Muslim country. And um, our military very much appreciates the, the possibility to, to celebrate uh, the sacraments. But it's very special when your archbishop comes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I visited almost all of the major uh, military installations in the country, but had Holy Thursday at, um, um, at, at one of the, uh, the air bases. And, and just being able to... Uh, 
to celebrate the Eucharist and to remember the institution of the Eucharist in that setting. And then the next day um, to go off and uh, at, at Kandahar to celebrate uh, the Good Friday liturgy um, in a church full, a chapel full of people who actually waited because due, due to some... Uh, the airplane difficulties were right. a little bit. We were a little bit late, but uh, they all waited, and that experience was just just incredible. And then uh, going on uh, the next morning to uh, Camp Leatherneck, uh, which is a Marine um, outpost, and there we had the Easter vigil, and I baptized uh, four individuals and confirmed a few others as well, and just a, a very very moving uh, liturgy in a very simple setting, a very rudimentary kind of setting, but uh, it was clear that um, this is where the church was celebrating the resurrection of the Lord, uh, that local church, which is the Archdiocese for Military Services, Mm -hmm. and I was privileged really to be among among my faithful and very grateful, very grateful for that opportunity, and very grateful for everyone who made that opportunity possible. I'm sure they love the fact that, like, like you said, their archbishop was there to, to be there, to be to support them and to provide and to minister to them uh, directly. That seemed like it would be an awesome, awesome experience. It is. I think moving for them and, and certainly very moving for me. Yeah. How often do we remind ourselves that as ministers, we're ministered to in the same process? It's such a two-way street. Exactly. Exactly. It really is. Um, in, in the Easter Sunday celebration was, uh, was very international because uh, I was joined by the uh, head of the mission Sui uh, Yuris in Afghanistan, so the only Catholic priest who's assigned to Afghanistan, uh, who has a chapel at the Italian embassy, he joined me for the 12 o'clock mass oh, okay. on the base um, in Kabul, and we had uh, uh, a mass in Italian and English, and then we went to um, his chapel that evening and had Mass for the international community. Uh, and there we used uh, French and Spanish and Italian as wow, well as you English. you get around. <laughs> I do, I do. Um, and it, was, it really was a, a privilege to, to celebrate with, uh, with all of those people and to know that regardless of the fact that we were thousands of miles from the United States or even thousands of miles from some of their homelands, uh, we were united in the same faith. We were there to celebrate that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and is victorious over sin and death. And I think in, in the face of all of the hardships, in the face of all of the danger, in the face of everything else, um, it is that faith that unites us and it is that faith that encourages us to go on and to realize the, the ministry that, that, that is ours. How beautiful. Now, you had mentioned that, you know, obviously uh, all these names where you spent this time this is in the middle east right and and i just wonder is it a is it a tense situation how do, how do you uh, uh how do you deal with uh, the fact that you're you're doing essentially catholic christian services in the middle uh, of a of a place that's not as friendly to christians uh, as we would hope well i think in uh, obviously in the places i celebrated were all within uh military installations or within the right. embassy community um, it would probably be impossible in Afghanistan to have those celebrations outside of those kinds right. of locations because Islam is the official, lang- uh, the official religion of the country. Right. 
and um, that's uh, that's what's practiced by the majority right. of the people. Um, I think that the uh, at least the Afghani's I met for the most part were very uh, tolerant of right. uh, of Christianity, but um, I think they would want it contained in those uh, those structures. Do the servicemen and women feel it's difficult to be a Christian in in, in that part of the world, or or do they feel maybe? Uh that, that in a sense, that's is that where they get their strength? Do you think as you as you minister to those folks? I think it's very much where they get their strength, and they're they're obviously very grateful for the ministry that is that is theirs. I think they're careful though when they go outside of the walls of the uh, of the compound. Uh, Easter morning, we went to visit the uh, missionaries of charity who have a home for abandoned children, so we were able to greet the eleven children that they have awesome. living there. And it's interesting because it was very moving for the uh, the soldiers, the army soldiers who accompanied me on that trip, because it was a taste of uh, of life out in the city that they would not normally experience. And while they were there for my protection, it was obvious that they also took in uh, what they what they experienced uh, visually by seeing these children and seeing these women who live out in the uh, in right. the city and are very much respected because of the good work that they do. That is that is awesome, uh, and I love that. And, and you know, I, I think that the the servicemen and women obviously are are grateful for what you do to support them and to, to provide the, the ministerial needs uh, that they have to provide the ministers for those uh, spiritual needs that they have. Uh, and we certainly appreciate uh, the fact that you're at the helm uh, taking care of this business. But I know that there's probably someone listening who's thinking, you know, I'd like to know more about about what we're doing. Where do we send them? If uh, Someone who's interested in maybe feels a vocation or a calling to, to maybe uh, address uh, the first part of their priesthood to, to you guys for a little while? Well, the first, the first place I would suggest uh, would be to consult our website, which is www.millarch.org. Uh, and there, there are a number of resources, uh, both resources that we make available to the men and women in the field, but also resources about how um, how our ministry progresses and how that ministry can be helped. So that's that's a good starting place. And there are also indications there of uh, where one might go for something more uh, profound or uh, uh, a more direct form of collaboration. I'm certain you're looking for more than just a few good men, right? You're looking for... Uh... <laughs> I'm looking for about 500, So, but I'll take as many as I can get. <laughs> Amen. So we'll, we'll, we'll certainly pray for that. Uh, Archbishop, we thank you so much for spending some time here with us in the luxurious corner booth uh, here in Lourdes, France, and we uh, uh, really appreciate you being here. All right. And thanks again for all the work and the service you're, you're providing. Well, thank you. Thank you. And thank you very much for this opportunity to talk to your, to your listeners as well. And let us conclude by uh, asking uh, Mary's graces as we are here at uh, her shrine in Lourdes. We pray, Almighty God and Father, that you might look with love upon all of us, that you might give us that spiritual and physical help and health that we need, that you might accompany us on our journey and lead us always to the fullness of your light, which we celebrate in the Lord's resurrection. We make our prayer, as always, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. 
there's always room for one more at our table. 